I do invite you to turn to 1 Timothy. We're making our way through Paul's letter, uh, his first letter to his young protege. Um, and I also want to extend my greetings to you. My name is Greg Dernberger. I'm a senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church and one of the elders. And um, glad that you would um, make us and this worship time a part of your Mother's Day morning. One reason that our eldership makes it a practice to preach our way through entire books of the Bible is that it, it forces us to give attention to portions of God's word that we might be tempted to otherwise skip over. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25 is such a passage. This text is loaded with thematic material that most people would find, um, well, uninteresting, I guess, at best, um, and a passage that pastors themselves would rather not talk about. Paul addresses matters such as pastoral compensation, pastoral accountability, protocols when pastors refuse to own up to their own sin, as well as... um, I guess you just say the positive medicinal effect of alcoholic beverages. This is a great passage. (laughs) Um, But God's rules for God's household do not apply only to members of God's family. They also apply to the pastors slash elders who have been charged with the governance and watch care over God's family. So these verses contain vital instruction regarding how one ought to behave uh, as a member of God's household, that is the local church, in a way that that displays and proclaims God's truth in this world. So I want to invite you uh, to follow along as I read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. And again, wherever you are, if you're able and uh, inclined uh, as an expression of regard and reverence and respect for uh, the voice of God communicated to us through his word, please stand and uh, follow along as I read God's holy and authoritative word. Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, it says, the laborer uh, deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, 
but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. It's God's word. Join me in prayer. We're mindful, O oh God, that when you speak, things come into being that are not. And with a text like this, we are looking to you, we're trusting in you, and in the power of your will and your communication of yourself to bring things into being that are not. Bring faith into being. Bring affection for you into being. Bring respect and regard for you into being. Awaken uh, life within our souls because of your word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through this word you have communicated. And we are trusting you now to accomplish the purpose for which you have spoken. So work among us now. Work in our hearts. Open the eyes of our souls. Open our hearts to all that you would do, want to accomplish among us for your glory and for the, the sweet joy and, and relational bond of your people together as the church. May this be so in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, one of the most essential components really to a healthy relational bond is what I would call the gift of honor. This is true in any relationship. It's true in relationship between husbands and wives, between parents and their children, between brothers and sisters in Christ, between those who are charged with the governance and uh, of of an organization, including the church, including those being governed. This is, this is true in your natural household. It's true in the household of God. Honor, honor contributes to this bond. And honor is displayed, expressed through care. And Paul begins 1 Timothy chapter 5, with an admonition to honor one another in light of gender, in light of generation. In, in verse 3, he charges the family of God to honor those who are worthy of honor, and especially those who are most vulnerable and most likely to be overlooked or potentially marginalized. And the way this honor is displayed Partly is by the way we communicate with one another and partly by the way we care for one another. And now in verses 17 through 25, Paul shifts his attention on how the church expresses and displays honor for its leaders, namely the pastors, the elders of the church. And the church displays honor for its pastors, elders through its 
care for the pastors and elders of the church. So my outline is going to fall under three main headings. I want to address the importance of caring for pastors and elders. I want to address uh, the extent of caring for pastors and elders. And then thirdly, the practice of caring for pastors and elders. And uh, you can imagine this feels somewhat awkward and self-serving, but I'm just going to go for it here. And we are going to begin by taking note of the great importance with which Paul places on caring for the elders of the church. Right smack dab in the midst of this passage, Paul highlights the magnitude of something, something that we are, I believe, by nature, very, very tempted to take for granted, namely the well-being of those who are called by God to care for our well-being. Look at 1 Timothy 5.21. Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. Now that is a solemn appeal. It is, it, it's, it's just loaded with all of Paul's apostolic authority. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, charge you. It is an appeal made in light of and for the sake of the glory of God. It is a gospel appeal. It is an appeal made in view of the saving person and work of Jesus Christ. It is an eschatological appeal. It is an appeal made in the light of eternity. The host of heaven are on their tiptoes here watching and listening. Watching and listening for what? Well, according to verse 17, they are watching to see if the household of God will take seriously the importance of caring for its elders. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Why? Why is the charge of caring for the elders of the church so significant for the church? Well, it's because as the elders go, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the gospel purposes of God through the church. And further, if we disregard this charge, if we take this charge lightly, these instructions regarding the care of the elders of the church, we, the church, will be vulnerable to a demonic, destructive inroad. 1 Timothy 5, verses 14, 15, right? Part of this context, Paul says, Give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So we're not, we're just not playing games here. Serving the church as an elder is a dangerous high-risk calling. And in a healthy church, as in a healthy family, as goes the well-being of those charged with 
governance and leadership, so goes the well-being of those under that leadership. In other words, if your, your pastor's elders are not doing well emotionally, spiritually, relationally, intellectually, financially, maritally, it will sooner or later affect the health and the well-being of the household of which they've been charged to look after. And therefore, under God and in light of eternity and for the sake of the faithful and fruitful gospel witness of Emmaus Road Church, I appeal to you, keep watch over the well-being of your pastor's elders. The second main heading here to which I want to draw your attention then is the extent of, of elder care. What does that cover? What does that include? How far does the church's care for its elders reach? Well, it, it extends first of all, according to this text, to an elder's financial well-being. Verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For, or because, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the scripture says, the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul is, is addressing a temptation that I believe we all face, at some point or another, of misusing the labor of others. The church, perhaps more than any other entity in our social network, is where we are tempted, maybe more than any other place, to expect things for free. And into that reality, Paul points, points first of all to the Old Testament in the quotation of Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4 and says, picture this, you know, if you don't care for and honor the elders of the church through generous remuneration, it's, it's like making your animal grind your grain and then suffer for it by forcing it to go hungry. Put a muzzle on it, you don't let it eat, but you drive it, you drive it, and you make it work. That, that's wrong, that's abuse. And if that isn't a strong enough statement, then Paul appeals to the teaching of Jesus. According to Luke chapter 10 and verse 7 and Matthew chapter 10 verse 10, he says, the laborer, that is the gospel laborer, deserves his wages. So, the care of elders extends to that elder's financial well-being. Second, that elder care extends to a pastor's professional well-being. According to Paul, this would include clear, systematic performance review. Look at verse 17 again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So how are elders evaluated? 
how do you know, how do you know if we are ruling well? Elders don't receive double honor just because of their title um, or their degree. There must be clear expectations. There must be measurable standards by which elders can be certain as to whether or not they are, in fact, ruling well or not, particularly in one area. There's one special area through which they, they're expressing their leadership and their care and their governance in a biblical way, namely the function of preaching and teaching biblical doctrine. This was a real hot button in Ephesus, um, and that's because the, the main occasion for which Paul wrote this letter was because there were certain persons and Presumably, these certain persons were actually elders who were not ruling well. They were not ruling well in the area of preaching and teaching. They were, in fact, destroying the church because they were not ruling well. They were not feeding the church well. They were not protecting the church well. They were not keeping a close watch on their doctrine and their lives. And because of that, this particular local church was conflicted and on fire with trouble. It's a huge area, professional well-being. Third, elder care extends to the pastor's emotional, relational well-being. Again, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Interesting. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says that widows are worthy of honor. For a woman to have lost the protection and the provision of a husband is to experience an enormous emotional weight. It is a burden that those of us who have not endured it have no idea what sorrow, what pressure, what pain, what loneliness must be endured. And therefore Paul says, widows, widows, they must be treated. They must be treated with great respect and offered significant care. Now, 1 Timothy 5.17 implies that the gravity, the pressures, the pains experienced by elders who rule well under those remarkable pressures, it makes them worthy of double the honor, twice the respect and provision and care. Further, according to verse 19, Paul says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. <laughs> Commenting on this verse, John Calvin says, none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. They may perform their duties correctly and consciously, yet they never avoid a thousand criticisms. To bear the evaluations, the comparisons, the criticisms, the offenses, and the assaults of the people you are called to serve is a weight 
that erodes the emotional and relational well-being of even the toughest temperaments. And this is a weight that inevitably reaches the soul of a man. And therefore, elder care must also extend not only to the financial or the emotional, relational well-being, but also to his spiritual well-being. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, that is, elders, those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest, that is, the rest of the church, may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure, spiritually pure. Public censure of a, of a fallen elder is um, it's an extreme worst-case scenario of an unhealthy system. Somewhere, care failed Pastors, elders who become isolated are profoundly vulnerable to hard thoughts, hard hearts, leading to hard souls. Paul Tripp says, as a pastor, you'd better be ready to fight for the gospel, but you'd better also be ready to war for your own soul. You'd better be committed to being honest about the battles that are going on in your own heart. You'd better be prepared to preach the gospel to yourself. You'd better arm yourself for the inner conflict that greets anyone in ministry. It's a dangerous calling. Fifthly, elder care extends to a pastor's physical well-being. That's where we come to verse 23 where Paul admonishes Timothy, he says, no, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So the, the, the nature of elder care involves paying attention really to every category of, of an elder's life. All the indicator lights on his dashboard must be monitored and if any of the gauges are redlining, the gravity of God says, attend to that now. The integrity of the elder is always at risk. And on account of the unique pressures to appear strong and competent and unshakable, uh, a pastor elder is in a high-risk category for trouble. And on account of our natural tendency to assume that well-trained, experienced, experts, highly educated, carefully examined, ordained individuals, well, they certainly must be more self-aware than anybody else. We are tempted to withhold attentive care. Who are we to offer anything in the way of significant observation to these experts? 
And those assumptions tend to contribute to a very highly vulnerable system. So loved ones, as an elder, I'm going to appeal to you on behalf of your elders. We are just whole persons like you, and we require holistic care just like you. And since the extent of care is holistic, namely covering financial, professional, emotional, relational, spiritual, physical dimensions of our lives, then how, do, how is that expressed? What does that look like? What does the practice of elder care involve? And we just go back to where Paul started. The most practical manner by which the church honors and cares for its elders is, is seeing to it that they are compensated fairly and generously. That's the point of 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. I'm going to read it again. Let, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, because the scripture says, God says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Now, this may be obvious to everybody, but I'm going to just explain it in case you may be unaware. A pastor's salary and benefits are funded through the financial contributions that people give to a local church. And in an elder-governed church like ours, the decision regarding the compensation package for the vocational elders, in our case, that's Ryan and me, we we make our living as elders. Um, that, that decision regarding the compensation package for the elders is made by the elders. And the potential danger there is, is that we could err on the side of paying ourselves too much or on the side of paying ourselves too little. And that's why we have a finance team. We have deacons who assist us as elders by tracking contributions, researching the appropriate remuneration for pastors who serve churches our size, determining the best health insurance options, etc., etc., etc. And listen, Ryan and I thank God for wise, competent, experienced men in the area of organizational finance. Guys like Jared Hines, Lauren Van Housen, we love you. We love you, you guys who guide us through the process of determining our salaries and our benefits. We, we would be idiots to try to do that on our own. They serve us by seeing to it that we are not paid too much or paid too little. And listen, Ryan and I also thank God for you members of Emmaus Road Church, especially those during an economic downturn like we are in, um, You've been so generous and so consistent in your contributions. I'm aware of churches uh, in our region that have needed to cut pastor salaries. They are on the verge of furloughing pastors um, because their income, their contributions have declined so dramatically. I I'm aware of pastors who are, are in a position right now of needing to supplement their income by doing another job. In the past two months of this 
pandemic, your contributions to Emmaus Road Church have not diminished. We have been making budget every month. We are still on track uh, to, uh, to meet all of our needs. And so we praise God. We praise God. We thank God for your care for us in this way. There, there's a second way to practice care for your elders, and that's by regarding their reputation. I want you to look again, verse 19, 19 to 21. It says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then verse 21 says, in, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. That's, that's a critical phrase. Do, and then, on the other hand, don't do anything from partiality. So, obviously, probably goes without saying, in the household of God, um, Elders, leaders, pastors, mistakes are made. They, they commit sins. And in that process, feelings get hurt. And in that process, offenses are endured. And, and, for the, re- and, and, the, and the reason then for 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 21, that is to guarantee that when that happens, when that inevitably happens, pastors are granted due process. Loved ones, we live in a culture of outrage. Offended parties no longer accept payment for atonement of any kind. If someone is accused, they are automatically condemned and sentenced in the court of public opinion, and then they are executed by means of social media. What is your first reaction when you hear of an offense? There is another way, a way to uphold the glory of God, a way to protect the health and the well-being of the household of God, and a way to honor and regard the reputations of elders, and that is to, to not prejudge and bring things to bear through due process. Now, on the other hand, it is equally important to practice care for your elders through structures of accountability. Verse 20 says, as for these, or as for those, excuse me, those elders, as for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Sinful elders must be held accountable for their actions. Now, the, the, the reason for 1 Timothy 5.20 is to protect the church from elders who slander the gospel, they injure people, they cripple the church through abhorrent character and unrepentant sin. Here, here's the part we need to pay attention to. When 1 Timothy 5.20 happens, it's too late. When a church has a plurality of elders and an elder is disqualified in the sense of 1 Timothy 5.20, somewhere in the system, care and accountability failed. 
a man is ruined, an eldership is fractured, a church is broken, and oftentimes it takes years, decades to recover. My dear Emmaus Road Church, you have permission, the permission of your elders, both individually and corporately, to hold up a mirror for us and to us. If you see us going off the rails in any of these critical categories of our lives, please say so. And if we are resistant, please say so again with other witnesses. And if we are still resistant, you have our permission to contact the director of our church development in Sovereign Grace Churches. His name is Mickey Conley. We will give you his contact information and you can talk to him and hold us accountable. We give you permission to do so. For the love of God, for the glory of Christ, for the health and well-being of this church, for the sanctification of our souls, please take action before things get to what is spoken of in 1 Timothy 5.20. God forbid that day would come, but please pay careful attention. This, this, these three verses, 1 Timothy 5.19-21, it provides guardrails for both for both the church as well as for the protection of the pastors. Now, serious stuff. What happens in 1 Timothy 5.20 may be avoided if the church expresses elder care through patient and extensive evaluation. Verse 22 says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. You know, it, it's, it's a great temptation because of all the needs in the life of a church to appoint people to roles of leadership and governance too soon. The reason that we would be slow in laying on of hands and affirming and ordaining elders is on account of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. He says, the sins of some men are conspicuous going before them to judgment. In other words, it's just obvious. <laughs> You're not going to appoint them. You're not going to lay hands on them. However, the sins of others appear late, later. That's why you take the time. And so also good works are conspicuous. Sometimes they're right there in front of you. But others, other times, you, you have to wait for that maturity to manifest itself. In other words, character takes time to reveal itself. You have to walk through some crises. You have to endure some crucibles to see what really comes out. Men show their true colors one way or the other, good or bad, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. 
And so, loved ones, in Mass Road Church, we, we are just absolutely unusually blessed to have such a significant number of men with the potential of serving this church's elders. It's just amazing. And the process of identifying and developing qualified and called elders is a slow process. So bear with that and pray for our men. Pray specifically for the men who provide oversight to our missional communities. Thank God. Praise God for them. Watch them. Care for them. And pray for us as we walk alongside them in their developmental process. And then finally, finally, practice caring for your elders through gracious, gentle admonition. We need you to speak to us. We need you to speak to us, I think, carefully. That's part of what it means to honor older guys. Sometimes younger, older guys. Look at verse 23 again. Paul says, he's addressing Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I mean, that, that, that verse seems to sort of come out of nowhere in such a heavy-duty text. I mean, he's just dealing with such intense issues. And then, yeah, look after yourself physically. You see, in Ephesian culture, drunkenness was a very real issue. Probably not so unlike our culture. It had seeped into the church. Drunkenness had seeped into the church as an issue. But what really compounded things was a teaching. A teaching that presented things like self-denial as a means of self-salvation and higher spirituality. You stay away from alcohol, you're going to be more spiritual. You stay away from alcohol, you will save your soul. And so into that context, Paul's admonition to Timothy, it, you know, it's, it sounds different then, right? Use a little wine for the sake of your health. Brother, I'm concerned about your health. I'm concerned about your physical well-being. Pastor, what can I do to serve you physically as well as financially? as well as emotionally, as well as relationally, as well as professionally, as well as intellectually, as, as well as for the sake of your marriage. What can I do so that you may lead and feed and protect the church for the glory of Jesus? We need that kind of communication. We need that kind of care. Ryan, Logan, and I, we covet your prayers. We covet your watching us, looking after us. Who is sufficient to bear the weight of a household, much less the household of God? We love you. It is a joy like no other to serve you. And so to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory in and through the church and through her elders forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
so much at stake. So much at stake. And so, Lord, we we would ask that by your spirit, we might feel the appropriate measure of gravity of what's at stake. What's at stake in the health and well-being of a local church? What's at stake in the health and well-being of an elder team? What's at at stake in the health and well-being of individual pastors? Oh, God, we need you to protect us and to direct us and to shape us and to forgive us and to engender among us a a true disposition of humility and tenderheartedness. Regard for the power of temptation, remaining sin. Regard for the dynamics that contribute to the the health and well-being of all of our relationships. Lord, it's for your glory and for the sake of the, the name, the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ in this city and to the nations. And so we ask you to assert yourself and shape us through your word for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.